2013. Some of you, <laughs> some of you I can tell had um, way too much eggnog and way too much sleep the last couple weeks. One of you. I'm sure it was more than that. Um, what, was it, what was your favorite gift this Christmas? What was like the best thing you got? What was, as, my, as, my, as one of my team members says, what was the bomb dig to you this time? No, my mom was not your gift this, uh, this Christmas. Seriously, anybody get like an iPad mini or anything? Like, who's, who, like who got like something awesome? Smallville? I bet we can do better than even Smallville, and that's a good TV show. Israel, what'd you get from Jack? What'd she get you? Nice coat. Yeah, that's better than Smallville. Y'all got lame gifts. Anybody come up, like, I mean, I'm talking, like, slam. What'd you get? Okay. I guess that's the right answer in church. <laughs> Curtis got an iPad. I love it. So, welcome to Generation Church United, again, now that we've digressed entirely. If you have your Bibles tonight, and I hope that you do, I'd like you to go to Mark chapter 12. You ever see something in the Bible, or been, you know, maybe taught something on a, on a weekend service, or maybe one of your youth group times or at a conference, and it just, it seems pretty black and white, you know, like Exodus chapter 20, it, you know, it says, do not commit murder. You know what I mean? It's like, it's pretty black and white. There's, there's some, some words in the Bible where you're just like, oh, you know, that's, that's an easy one. Let's check that one off. I think I got that verse down. We'll, we'll be okay with that one. Um, and and uh, what amazes me about our Lord and what amazes me about his word is that there are, there are, there are cases, there are places in the word, in the written word, that can appear to you for a period of your time as being black and white, and then you can come back to them later. And, and it's, almost like, it's almost like the Lord takes a highlighter to that verse, and all of a sudden, like, you're fixated on that verse, and you're like, oh my gosh, I never saw this before. Okay? I feel like there's something here, and I want to apologize in advance, because this word is somewhat fresh on me. It's not, it's not something I really carry with a whole lot of understanding yet. It's just, it was like, it was like the Lord brought me to uh, this, what, what, what I thought was just kind of a black and white container of scripture. And he's like, hey, watch this. And, and he opened it up and, and it was like one of those, like, you know, the, the plastic snakes come out, only it was like a million of them. And they're just like all over the floor. And I'm like, holy mackerel, you're awesome. I had no idea that was here. And so uh, I, I'm having, uh, I wouldn't say trouble picking them up. It's more of an amazement strategy. Like, I hate snakes, but so, like, if, if you don't like snakes, just think of them as bunny rabbits, okay? So I'm having trouble now, like, picking up all of these bunny rabbits and being like, you're so amazing, you know? Right? And then you put them back in the box, and you're like, you're so amazing. And so this is going to seem somewhat disjointed. I hope you'll follow me as best you can. But I want to preempt uh, the word tonight by saying this. Um, Unless this is completely obvious to you and this is old school, especially like, like adults and pastors in here, if this is like old school and this has been covered before, I apologize in advance. This is like brand new, like ground-shaking to me, 
Okay, my bet is if you've only walked past these verses before, it's probably going to be ground shaking. Like literally, like on the 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 floor of your life as a Christian could conceivably shaken by what the Lord wants to reveal tonight. And I'm not talking about like just because it's me. Like I'm just talking about it's the work. It's it's stupid good. Okay, so just just be ready. Okay, everybody, take a breath. It's 2013. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's going to get good. Mark chapter 12, verse 28. Jesus has been taking the Pharisees to town. And just basically every question that he throw, they throw at him, he, he hits it out of the park and it blows their minds because they don't really realize that they're talking to God in the flesh who actually wrote the word to begin with and breathed it into existence. So we're in the middle of one of these kind of situations where Jesus is just, is just owning them. And it says this, Then one of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he, that's Jesus, had answered them well, asked of him, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Even if you didn't know the address of this in the word, how many people have heard those words before? Like you've come across, they, in, in fact, we even have a, a term for it. Do you know what it is? The greatest commandment. Like typically when people are referring to like, I mean, Rick Warren built his whole church on being committed to the, the great commandment and the great commission. That's, we'll build a great church. I think, that's, I think that's their phrase. I think that's their jam out there. And so when they're talking about that, they, they talk about, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Um, this is the first commandment and the others like it, la, la, la. Okay. Um, there are cases in the Gospels where I sometimes come across some confusion. If you've read more than one gospel, hallelujah, congratulations, you got more than one perspective on this whole thing called Jesus. But um, I, I want to invite you into, into a little bit of my own struggle with the word tonight. Have you ever come across something in one gospel or in one word, and, and you're like, wait a minute, that's not how he worded it in the other gospel. Is that, like, have you ever kind of come across, you're like, that's not how I remember the wording from over here, and then you kind of go over there and you're like, Oh, that's different. And, and in the name of faith and grace, we might just kind of say, okay, well, they're two different guys, and it's still the word of God. It's the same God, it, and it's basically the same scripture. It's the same Jesus saying the same things, but I, it, it's just maybe they just remembered it differently. How many of you know the Gospels weren't written while Jesus was walking around? They did all this in retrospect. They looked back and got it. I mean, Mark himself, Mark wasn't one of the walking 12 apostles. He got it from Peter. So talk about the accuracy of something coming through uh, a, a secondary channel. Here's Jesus doing all signs, wonders, and miracles. Mark isn't even on the radar yet. And uh, Peter is following him around. He's like, he, he remembers all this stuff. But he actually speaks it to Mark later, who actually writes it down. Okay. There's something here that, under normal circumstances, we would say, okay, well, that's the same scripture as over here. I want you to just briefly take a look. I want you to hold, if you've got your Bibles, hold that spot in Mark 12. We're going to come right back to it. And in Matthew 22, I want you to just kind of see the comparison here. Matthew 22, and I'm in verse 36. Guys, same conversation. Same conversation being recorded by Matthew. My bet is there's two different people asking this question, though, and I'll talk about that another time, but... 
In 34, it says, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, okay, notice, not a scribe, lawyer. They were similar, but not necessarily the exact same. Asked him a question, testing him and saying, notice, first of all, in the other case, the guy revered Jesus because there was an, this guy had understanding and wisdom, so he decided to ask him another question. This one instead almost asked the exact same question, but he's testing him instead. He says this, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Notice that strength is not there. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Okay, so... Already, you should be able to see there's some differences in these two reports. Mark's saying one thing, and Matthew is recording another. And I want to actually uh, invite you to consider tonight that the biggest difference that exists here is actually in how they ask the question. One asked Jesus the question with challenge. I don't really believe who you say you are. And in fact, I'm not even going to call you son of God, apostle, or prophet. I'm going to call you teacher. I'm just going gonna, gonna to put you on the same level as every other rabbi who teaches in this place we call Jerusalem and Judea and Israel. But the other one, seeing that he's reasoning all of these arguments, all of these things with incredible wisdom, comes up to him and asks, what's the greatest commandment of all? Now, you might say, well, Sean, they asked the same question. No, they didn't. First, they asked, one asked with a wrong motive. He wants to prove Jesus wrong. The other asked with a genuine curiosity. I want to know more of what you know. The other thing is this. You'll notice in Mark chapter 12, it says, which is the first commandment of all? The other one asks, what's the first commandment in the law? There's a distinction there. Here's why. Jesus says, in response to, what's the first commandment? What's the foremost commandment in the law? Jesus says, just rattles off, Deuteronomy 6, you shall love the Lord your God with all your soul, mind, strength. Soul, soul, mind, heart. To the one who says, what's the foremost commandment of all, of everything, of existence, of all time, he gives us more. He says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love. I want to stop right there. I want to propose to you tonight, and this is the place that shook my faith from the foundations. Because I, I want to propose to you, if we don't get this, you don't get claim your campus. Seriously, we can have every rally. We could have a rally every night for the rest of 2013. And if we don't get certain fundamental understandings about the revelation of the person of Jesus Christ, you're not going to care enough to get up in the morning on a seven at 7 o'clock and go and pray over your school. Why? Because the King of kings and the Lord of lords, through which all of history is hurtling towards, we're going to meet this guy. All of humanity is going to meet this man at the end of this journey. And if we don't understand now who he is, who he's going to be for us then, none of this matters. I mean none of it. Thursday night services don't matter. Generation Church United doesn't matter. Your churches don't matter. Your families don't matter. I mean, it's, uh, there are certain things at the root of the equation of this thing we, you and I call faith, that if I don't have faith in a person, if it's only an idea, I'm going to miss out on all this. I'm not actually going to be fired by love. I'm going to be motivated by duty. Oh, I guess I have to get up and go pray. Now, please, I want this because this is what's shaking my. This is what's shaking the foundation of my faith right now. When asked, not what is the first commandment in the law, but what is the first commandment, foremost commandment of all, Jesus says, "Here." I want to propose to you tonight, though it is linked to the love and the love that follows it. The first commandment 
that you and I need to commit our lives to as Christians is not to love, but to hear. Okay, there's three people in the room. I'm going to try that one more time. I, I want to propose to you tonight, and I, I, I honestly, challenge me in the word if you can find it. I want to propose to you tonight that the greatest commandment that the, that the American church has rested their laurels and their understanding and their, and their feel-good theology on is not, in fact, what Jesus would have us to commit our lives to first. Well, how do you know that, Sean? First, he's asked, which is the first, or the word is foremost, commandment of all? Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, first word, here. When it says, O Israel, uh, insert your name in there. Israel, prior to Jesus' resurrection, was the precursor, the, the predecessor, the, the, the first holy and set-apart nation that was, going to be, uh, that was going to ultimately find redemption in God. When they blew it enough times, Jesus comes on the scene, separates, uh, and takes, takes down every veil of separation humanly possible, and he says, okay, I don't just want the nation of Israel. They're still my chosen people. And at the end of this whole story, they're still going to get another chance. But devil, I'm going to kick you in the teeth, and I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm not just going to give you one nation to be worried about coming um, and living with me in eternity. I'm actually going to make room for all the nations of the earth. Uh, he just exponentially gave Satan a larger... Uh, uh, Job description. He says, Here, O Israel, here, Sean, here, Alden, here, Alex, here, Pastor Don. The Lord our God. It's like saying, Here, Rachel, Alex. It's like he's saying, Shh. Listen, you, to him. What's the thing he says after that? The Lord is one. We've got to grab onto this right now. Everyone say, the Lord is one. Okay. I don't even remember which preacher said this or wrote it, but I love it. There is a God. Everyone say, there is a God. And he's not you. Okay, there is a God, and he's not me. I want to propose to you that one of, the, one of the largest reasons that not just young people, but it is this church generation, it's this place in history, uh, I want to propose to you one of the main reasons why Christians do not live powerless lives at this point in human history is because uh, we're still trying to play God. We are more interested in being the God and the, the, the determining uh, uh, factor, the determining choice, the, the person who makes the final call and the final say on all issues of our lives, that we haven't actually entered into the promise, the fulfillment, and the destiny to which we've been called. We live powerless lives because we get part of the gospel, but not all of it. And I want to propose to you the reason for that is because we'll get to a place, I'm going to talk about this in a second, we'll get to a place far enough in our faith to feel bad about our sin, but not enough to really repent and move in a new direction. I know many, many Christians 
No condemnation. There is now no guilt and no condemnation for those found in Christ Jesus. But I know a whole generation, young and old, of people who will hear the right message that cuts to their heart, makes them feel bad about their sin, and they'll fall weeping at the altar. They will go far enough to the cross of Christ, but not actually enter into the redemption of his resurrection. You've got to understand this, guys. When, when, he, when Jesus became the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, he took away your sins, but he did it on the cross. We love going to the cross, which we should, because his blood and his love covers over the multitude of our sinful lives. But he didn't stay on the cross. Sometimes I think we still, we still um, like those uh, crucifixes that have Jesus still hanging on them. He doesn't hang there anymore. He went into a tomb. So here's the thing. Every time you are convicted by a sin in your life, whether in a message or whatever, somebody comes to you and says, hey man, I see this in your life, whatever that is, go into confession mode by all means. Get to the cross of Christ. If, you have, if, if you're compelled to weep, go ahead. If you're compelled to confess loudly, or so, it doesn't matter. Do what you have to do in order to confess that thing. But understand this. It says in 1 John that if I confess my sins, he is faithful and righteous um, to forgive me. The problem is, is I'll, get to the, I'll get to the cross. I will confess my sins. The debt, let's say this is zero line, this is positive, this is negative. Um, the debt that I have accumulated because of my sin life gets washed away by the blood of Christ. So it gets me back up to level zero. But for some reason, once we leave the cross, we don't go to the tomb and, and have a revelation that Jesus is risen and I can actually live a glorified, kingdom-based life in which I can walk in signs, wonders, and miracles. Why? Because I'm still just a sinner saved by grace. And as long as you continue to own an identity that says, I am a sinner, I don't care if you say you're saved by anything. If you continue to own an identity that, that says you're a sinner, you're never going to get past the cross. He didn't, come to continue, he didn't come to have you continue to be a sinner. He changed people's names like from Jacob to Israel. He, pay, he changed people from Saul into Paul. Do you understand the only person in all of biblical history who ever had a name change that went in reverse that was a demotion instead of a promotion was Lucifer. You have an identity and an inheritance and a destiny in which you are promoted into huge realms of glory and riches and inheritance, but we only get so far. We get to the altar and we stop there. Well, Sean, I want to go beyond it. I want to challenge you on that for a second. Do you really? Here's why I say that. I recognize my sinful condition, and I, and, and I, I receive the fact, I come to the altar, and I, and I confess those things, and I receive the understanding that Jesus has cast my sins as far as the east is from the west. It doesn't get any farther than that. Into the sea of forgetfulness, go, I mean, when I get to heaven, the accuser of the brethren is going to be there, and he's going to say, Sean did this, 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 it's going to go on for a while. And God's going to say, yeah, I don't remember any of those. We'll go that far. 
But I want, to, I want to have you begin to see something here. We'll go that far. When I get up from that place, how many, like, don't, don't raise your hands, because it could be a revealing question, but how many of you, you get up from having confessed to a brother or to a sister, or you like you reconcile a relationship, whether it's with Jesus or with somebody that you know, maybe a family member, and you and you leave you leave that interaction feeling clean. You know what I mean? Like you feel healthy. You feel wow. I feel lighter. It's like oh, it's like this is working again. Okay, all right. I, like I feel like I can I can go to the next thing in my schedule with like a, with a feeling of a clean conscience. He does that, and it's true. But the choice that's to be made when I step up from this place is now which direction am I going to walk? Am I going to walk in the direction from which I came, which was sin, disobedience, selfishness, anger? I mean, go down the list. Am I going to continue to entertain those things? Or, since it says those who are found in Christ Jesus have crucified its flesh with its passions and desires. I think Paul used that term on purpose. This place is not just the place of confession. It's the place where I leave the old and walk into the new. I really believe Paul when he said, those who are in Christ, they're a new creation. Old things have passed away. Only new things come. So when I leave this prostrate position that that put me in a place of confessing my sin when I, where I walk is now towards Jesus. Kingdom. He doesn't just forgive your sins so that you can go back and sin some more and then come back and feel good about confessing again. He forgives. He graces us. He empowers us to not just step up from that place, but to live a different life altogether. But when it says here, the Lord is one. The problem is we step up from the cross and we go back to our old thinking because we're still our own God. You'll hear the phrase often if you haven't already. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Do you know those are two separate terms? We crunch them together the way we do Jesus Christ. Jesus is the person. Christ actually means anointed one, though. There's, that, there's actually a whole different term just for Christ. We crunch together terms like Lord and Savior. Do you know those mean two different things? At the cross, I find my Savior and I find my Deliverer. When I get up, I find out who's still, who is Lord. Because a Lord will run my life and be the decider of my, of my choices in my life and my life decisions. Savior, Savior is, is just the entrance level. This is why in the five-fold ministry, the evangelist is the, is the bottom of the funnel. It doesn't mean he's least important. He's just, he represents the entranceway into the kingdom. The evangelist will get, you, will get you to a place of recognizing a need for a Savior. But the Savior... Knowing Jesus as my Savior is just the entrance point into kingdom life. The next step is, who's going to be Lord? I want to propose to you, most of us, we get to the place of calling Jesus my Savior because, my gosh, 
Who's not going to embrace the fact that if I simply come to a person and confess my sins, not only are they gone, but I actually get to go to heaven? That's a no-brainer. The harder question is, when I get up, who's going to be Lord? Who actually gets to determine my steps? Because, and this is, this is where this is going. Everybody, everybody just get your eyes back up here. Shake your, shake your head a little bit, okay? So some of you are still coming off of like holiday, you know, uh, lethargy and all kinds of other stuff. But the, this, this, is, this is where we're going. I need, I need you to kind of stay. Are you guys still with me? Are y'all, are y'all still okay? Like, you're, you're still tracking? Okay, all right. Because I know I'm kind of all over the place, but it's, like I said, it's fresh. Uh, a synonym or an analogy in this case for the word Lord would be shepherd. Most of us in the room, if we're honest with ourselves, we hear the word here and we think, I don't know how to hear the voice of the Lord. I want, to, I want to propose to you that the reason for that is because when you come out of the place of confessing your sins and being released of those things, you don't actually decide Jesus is Lord or shepherd, and therefore you don't hear his voice. Why? Jesus said it very plainly. My sheep hear my voice. Stay with me on this for a second. My sheep hear my voice. If I don't come up from this place and choose a path that says Jesus is Lord or Jesus is my shepherd, I don't hear his voice. Why? My sheep hear my voice. Do you know the relationship between a sheep and a shepherd? Shepherd tells the sheep everywhere they're going to go and everything they're going to do. Well, Sean, that doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of choice. I thought, I thought, I thought, I thought every human being had a freedom, freedom to choose. Yeah, you're supposed to choose servitude. Yeah. Well, Sean, uh, but Jesus, Jesus said, Jesus said uh, uh, he, calls, he calls us our friends. Yes, after he called them servants. Guys, there's a hierarchy. There is actually a life development of stages in the life of the believer that moves you from one place to another. You were once a slave to sin, you became a slave to righteousness. You were once a slave, you became a servant. I mean, it's, it's all of, the, there is a life cycle that happens. You're not a sinner anymore, you're a saint. There's a transition that happens. What we do is, is we, and, and here's the thing. We were trying to be nice. Did you notice at the end of the last century, Christians just got nasty? You know what I mean? Like we just, we just started lording our, our religion over people and really just started telling people they were going to hell and all that stuff. And so the reaction to that is the church started taking a more defensive posture, being like, it's okay, we're just all sinners. We're just all sinners. We're just, we're just ones that saved, saved by grace, but we're all sinners. We did, I understand, I get it why that phrase came up. Do you understand it's not biblical? <laughs> I get why that phrase came up. We're all sinners saved. No, we're not. As soon as you've received Jesus Christ and he's Lord, you're a saint. Boom, done. It's done. Why? The old things have passed away. You've become a new creation. We keep thinking we're supposed to drag around the old man with us while, while we're walking in something that's kind of new, but not really. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. He couldn't have said it more plain than that. I want you to think about it this way. All sheep, like every other animal or any other biological organism on the face of the planet, has DNA. He's saying, it is actually written into your DNA. When you call me Lord, when you call me your shepherd, you hear my voice.
my sheep hear my voice. My question to you then is this. Because we're, we're good at repenting. No, we're good at confessing. Let me be clear about that. Because repentance means mind change. <laughs> Everyone's just like, mind change. Seriously, everybody do that right now. Mind change. That's repentance. Repentance is when I get done confessing and I walk away from way, the way I used to be and I start to think differently. Paul said it this way, but we have the mind of Christ. Everything's new. You guys still good? There's a zillion places I would love to go with this. I'm not going to have time for all of it tonight. I just want to make a couple, couple last things here. I want to make sure you walk out of here not thinking I'm, I'm speaking heresy here. There's a couple, couple illustrations to, to get here. Jesus is asked, not what's the first commandment in the law. He was asked by a very uh, arrogant lawyer. I know we don't have any arrogant lawyers in the world anymore, but at that time, we had, he was asked by a very arrogant lawyer, what's the foremost commandment in the law? He spouted off the Deuteronomy scripture. BT dubs. Uh, uh, read the Deuteronomy chapter one scripture. I don't have time to get there tonight. There's some awesome stuff in the verses just preceding the, the greatest commandment that's like seriously sets you up to own this even more. You just get, you got to read it on your own. There's just great stuff there. Jesus says, of all, first commandment of all, he says, here, here. There's another context where we see something similar. If you're not familiar with the story, it's in your Bible. It's probably under a heading that says Mount of Transfiguration or Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration. And that wasn't even the name of the place, I think, when it, when it was first there, but now we call it the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, Jesus had how many disciples? Boom. How many were closest to him? Three, Peter, James, and John. Okay? So there's a time in ministry. He's kind of he's stepped aside for a little bit. He takes Peter, James, and John. He's like, hey, look, we're going to go up this mountain. Okay, like, James and John are ready to go because we're going to be like, we're going to be on the mountaintop. Let's call down fire from heaven! Seriously, these guys, he nicknamed James and John the sons of thunder. There, was some, there must have been something about the way that they either presented themselves or spoke that was like, that prompted Jesus to call them sons of thunder. And, uh, and, so, and, then the, and, and then we got good old Peter. All right, we're going to get to Peter in a second. So they climb a mountain. And on top of the mountain, there's this moment. Must be out of eyeshot and earshot of the disciples because they never mention it. But um, all of a sudden, they're, just, they must, they're walking along. Talk about a stink moment. Where they're walking along, all of a sudden, just the whole scene changes. Like Jesus, Jesus goes from like Gandalf the Great to Gandalf the White. Like it's just, it's like, it's just boom. It's like all of a sudden, like there's just this glory. He's like, his, his clothes are turned to all white. And out of nowhere... <laughs> Out of the veil of eternity crosses over Elijah and Moses. Okay? This is one of those Finding Nemo moments when the octopus, like, does the inking. You know what I mean? Like, all of them have to be wetting their pants because there's no way they were possibly ready for this. So Moses on one side, Elijah's on the other. And they're like, seriously? And Jesus has just gone blazing white. All right. And then there's like a cloud. If that wasn't enough, like a cloud of glory descends on the mountain. Okay, this hasn't been seen since like Moses days, right? So a cloud of glory. 
And so Jesus, <laughs> the guys are dumbstruck, but Jesus just like talking to them like he would talk to any. Like, like nothing happened, okay? Like somebody just walked up, walked up to Jesus and just started chatting. These guys walk through the veil of eternity, all of a sudden they're having a conversation. Peter, James, like I can, I can just see like the, the three disciples being like, like looking at the others being like, what do we do? What do we say? What's going on? Like, are we, are we supposed to introduce ourselves? No, that's Jesus' job. Shut up. Um, <laughs> Listen, if I knew if it was Elijah, I'd be like, oh, like who would you want to meet first, Elijah or Moses? You know what I mean? Like, anyway, I digress. There's this moment. Peter decides to break the silence of the disciples. These guys are still having their conversation. Listen, I hope I have enough wherewithal that if Jesus were talking to Moses and Elijah, I would shut my mouth until they were done. But Peter, Peter's like, i got to say something. He goes up to Jesus. He said, Lord, it's good for, that we're here. <laughs> you think? <laughs> this, is, this is good that we're here. He said, uh, let's, let, let us make a tabernacle. Let's let, let me make, let's make some altars. We'll make one for you, one for Elijah, and one for, and one for Moses. Jesus doesn't respond. The voice of God out of the glory cloud responds. This is my son. Listen to him. Understand this. Every single time you and I have a mountaintop experience in the Lord, we want to make religion out of it. First reaction these guys had, let's build an altar. Why? Because we're still living in Old Testament times and every time something cool happens in Old Testament times, we build an altar. Let's build a tabernacle. Let's do, like, let's do something to commemorate. Let's, like, let's get a whole heap of stones and put them right next to the river because this is the place where it happened. I find, I find Daddy God's response is so illuminating. Shh. Listen to him. Do you notice he didn't say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? He didn't go into some expository preaching about who Jesus is and, you know, how it's, how it's you know, Nobody was complaining that it was unbiblical and nothing had ever been seen before that Moses and Elijah would just appear out of nowhere. Do you understand that God could still have Moses and Elijah appear in the room right behind me? Well, Sean, that's just, that's just not theologically sound. Yeah, you know what? Neither is a donkey talking, but that happened. <laughs> I find it fascinating. It says here in your, in your translation. Isn't that amazing? Jesus, when asked the right question, he, come, he comes back with the right answer. He says, first commandment is this, hear, listen. My wife's translation says that when it says listen to him, that's in the NASB, but it, it says hear, hear. You and I need ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the church in this hour. Do you understand? Our understanding of love is less important than our ability to hear. Why? Because you and I could look at Jesus saying, in the law, this is the most important thing. Love God and love your neighbor. Oh, I got, oh, I got that. God, I love you. I love you so much. I just love you. I just love you. Oh, friends, I love you. You're just so cool. I just love you. Come on, man, get up. Come on, get up. I want to hug you. Come on. Come on. There we go. There we go. Hey, man, don't mess with the microphone. 
I find this interesting. I wish I didn't have to close. I find this interesting. As scripture says, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And then it says, and you shall love. I got to leave you with this. I so wish, I so wish I had more time. At some point, maybe I'll just, maybe I'll just, uh, maybe I'll just go somewhere else and preach on this, but um, get the recording and bring it back to you. But it blew my mind because the law says, you shall love the Lord your God, la, la, la. Jesus says, hear and you shall love. Why? First John tells us everything we need to know about this. We love because God loved us first. Do you know what's, do you know what's, it's amazing. Jesus highlights the foremost commandment, okay, in the law is to love the Lord your God, et cetera, et cetera. That's impossible unless I understand that he loved me first. They didn't even have that revelation in Old Testament times. And yet Jesus is saying, here's the most foremost commandment in the law, but you can't do it. Why? Because I haven't fulfilled the law yet. <laughs> John, sa- John says, we love him and others because he loved us first. I want to propose to you, and I'll leave you with this. I'm telling you, this is seriously like, once, once the Lord started breaking this out, I was like, I can't possibly write down fast enough. get the life cycle. I confess my sins. I recognize a need for a savior. He becomes my savior. His blood washes over all of my sins. Jesus is my savior. I get up from that place. I don't walk back into my old life. I change my thinking. He becomes my Lord. In the becoming of my Lord, he becomes my shepherd. Because I'm his sheep, everyone say, bah. Oh, it's really good. Somebody had it really down over here. Way to go, Allie. I become a sheep, but he said, my sheep hear my voice. I now have positioned myself to hear from God. I'm going to try that again. I've now positioned myself to hear, I'll emphasize it differently, from God. In the hearing, it says here, etc., etc., and you shall love. In the hearing, in the word, when the word comes forth from the throne of God, comes forth from Jesus' lips, by the unction of the Holy Spirit, when the word comes forth, love comes with it. Why? I can't love him back until I've received his love for me. So where do I get the love? In the hearing. So I position myself to hear from God. I actually position myself to be loved by him. Understand this. He's already poured out love for all of humankind more than you can actually possibly measure. But I'm not positioned to receive it until I'm his sheep who hears his voice. And when I hear his voice, the word comes through and attaches love to it. So why is it not hard to follow the voice of the Lord once I've heard it? Because love is attached to it. Everybody, anybody in the world who is genuinely and comfortingly loved feels safe. It might seem like the most outlandish thing in the world to do. Peter stepped out of a boat in the middle of a storm. It wasn't even placid waters. Like, it would be stupid enough if everything was just like calm and Jesus was like walking along as if it were a floor. But it's the middle of a storm. Jesus is climbing over these these waves. 
Like, I mean, just, just walking normally. And here's Peter. Hasn't even noticed it's Jesus yet. He says, Lord, if it's you, bid me come to you in the water. Why? Because there was an understanding. If Jesus talks back, I know there's going to be love that comes with it, and that's going to empower me to actually step out of the boat and walk. Why? Because when the voice of the Lord comes into my life, there's, a, there's something of a, of a passion that gets ignited. Last thing. Post-resurrection, two disciples are walking along the road to Emmaus. Jesus comes out of nowhere, but they don't recognize him because in the natural, he doesn't look like how they remember him. It's not until they, they have a long conversation, they sit down, they break bread for communion, all of a sudden their eyes are open, my gosh, it's Jesus, he vanishes, peace out. This is telling. Right after that, they said, man, did not our hearts burn within us when he was talking? That's the voice. They were positioned to hear the voice of the Lord because they were already mesmerized by this man. And that's where I really want to close tonight. I would say, of everything in the, in the word, it's <laughs> my conclusionary, but of everything in the word, what I actually preached on tonight is actually probably second in priority for your life. Begs the question, what then is first? Jesus said to Peter, after Peter understood and was revealed to him that Jesus was the Son of God, not an apostle, not a prophet, not a teacher, not an evangelist, not a good rabbi, not a pastor. It was revealed to Peter, you're the Son of God. He would also say things like, where will we go? Your words, you have the words of, they're like life. You have the words of life. There was some, Peter just read, Jesus said, on this rock, large rock, not Peter rock, that was a small rock, I'm talking about large rock, on this rock I will build my church. Your life and my life as Christians is meant to be, is meant to be built on the revelation of who Jesus is. The hearing comes second. I'm not taking anything away from the word, but until I actually encounter the risen Jesus, everything else is secondary. So I, wanna, I just want to close. I want to encourage you to dig into this. I'm going to take just a couple minutes. I'll get on the keys here. But um, I want you to take a second. It's just you. This is you. This is you time, right where you are. Let's stand. I want to pray for you. If you would, just hold out your hands in front of you. They don't have to go up, just like just out. Just turn palms over and hold out, hold out your hands. If you want to receive this, you can just kind of receive it as I pray it over you. It's not even my words. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul's writing to a church of believers at Ephesus. He says, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love, for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Here's his prayer. That the God, and I pray this over you right now, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you, saints, 
the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding to be enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is, if that wasn't enough, the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. Father, I just, in the name of Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and our beloved bridegroom that we are advancing ever quickly toward. I ask you to release, Holy Spirit, into this room that spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge, Jesus, of you, only you. Lord, you are, God, you are one. You are three people, but you are one God. There is no other God but you. There is no, there, there is no Buddha with you, God. There is no Muhammad. There is, there is, no, there is no other God, no man that could have done what you have done for us. I ask you to be revealed all over this place tonight. Be revealed, because this is all just an exercise in vanity if you are not revealed to us to become the author and finisher of our faith. All over this house, if, if, um, you, if you've gotten to the place of confessing your sins, but your life didn't change afterwards, and you want to go past knowing Jesus is Savior, but Jesus is Lord and Shepherd, I want to invite you to, uh, to the altar tonight. And if it's just honestly, and if it's just a matter of this was just, this was a new, this was a new understanding that you want to walk in, I want to invite you to the altar tonight. Last thing is this, if you're, if you're just, if, if this was old news to you, but um, if this was old news to you, you've been Christian maybe for years, uh, but you're just having, you're having a hard time hearing the voice of the Lord even though you know you're saved and you're like you know he's Lord and you really look to him for all direction in your life. I just want you to say these words right now. Um, and everybody just say it. Say, I hear from the Lord just fine. Sometimes we make hearing his voice just this really difficult thing because we get in our own way. Uh, and, and, and he made it plain. My sheep hear my voice. So if you're, if you're having trouble tonight, I just invite you to stop striving. Uh, just, just be quiet before him and allow him to speak to you. He's the word made flesh. It's pretty hard for him to not have something to say. So, um, so I just want to invite you as, as we finish out our night, if, if, if you're at a place, you know, you're, you know that you've confessed your sins and you've gotten to a place of coming up to zero, but not really, only repenting enough to get saved, not really enough to see the kingdom happen in your life. Um, I want to invite you to the altar and, um, and really a new life. Really a new life. When we submit to the Lord and allow him to direct our thought life, our prayer life, our, our physical life, our spoken life. Everything changes. We become the new creation he designed us to be. Y'all want to be world changers. It doesn't happen until the change happens on the inside, guys.
your parents are honored so feel free if you if you got to catch a ride you are released you're dismissed but search these things out in the word search these things out in your prayer time lord wants you to find him he's not going to make it difficult if you're riding the bus go ahead and get with polly we'll see you soon love you guys see you february 7th Second Generation Church, Pastor Don's bringing the word.